So I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but they have decided that there are certain fruits that are better for us than others. Uh, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, and watermelon are some of the best fruits that you can eat. Apparently, they have some, some fruits that they're saying aren't as healthy, figs, bananas, grapes, and mangoes because of their high sugar content. And I just think we're getting a little bit crazy here, no? Now they're telling us what fruits not to eat. Seriously, didn't it used to be that you'd eat fruit so you wouldn't eat things like gummy bears and Pop-Tarts? Now they're telling us, eat these fruits, don't eat those fruits. Do you guys remember the things we used to eat? Kelly and I were talking a little bit about candy we used to eat when we were kids. Anybody remember Bonkers? You guys remember Bonkers? Anybody have these? Remember the commercials? How great were the commercials, right? If someone would eat a Bonker and then whatever fruit they ate, the, the, the large like two-ton version of it would come and fall on them. Remember that? They had a great marketing. Oh, yeah, eat our candy and they get crushed by a two-ton grape. Uh, I asked some of our other staff people. Um, well, actually, first, anybody remember Necco wafers? Anybody ever eat these ones, right? It was kind of like eating slightly sugared chalk, right? That sound about right? That's about an accurate description. Uh, remember candy cigarettes? I don't think they sell those anymore, right? Right? I used to think they were the coolest thing in the world. I got candy cigarettes, roll them up in my sleeve, right? So legit, right? Um, Pastor Ravon reminded me about chocolate licorice. It was like back in the day, I guess. Any of you guys like chocolate licorice? All right, cool. I asked Joey and Andrew, some of our other pastors on staff, uh, they said Ring Pops was huge. Used to love Ring Pops. Um, how about Fun Dip? Any of you guys Fun Dippers? I was just thinking about that too. Like how lazy could the manufacturers get? Like let's just pour some sugar in a bag, and then they can eat it with a spoon. And the spoon will be made out of sugar, too. This is perfect, right? It's kind of just lazy there. Uh, razzles. Anybody remember Razzles? Right? Uh, bubble tape. That's still around. That's some good stuff. What about dots? Anybody remember dots on the papers? Right? And you'd be eating the dots. And you get some paper in your mouth. You're spitting that out. Get a little fiber in there with the candy. Right? And so I, I, just, I just think, like, all the candy we had was just incredible. But, but now fruit is bad. There are bad kinds of fruits. I mean, you imagine just being like, Man, I had two bananas today. I was tempted to go off my diet and have some mangoes too. But just trying to be good this week. Come on, getting a little crazy. But I guess it's helpful to know what the best fruits are for you. But have you ever wondered what the best spiritual fruit is? Right? I mean, we've been talking for the last several weeks that when you and I stay close to Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, when we're near him, he begins to produce some things in us we can't produce ourselves. And the image we've been looking at is just kind of like, we're the branch and he's the vine, right? And just like if a grape branch is attached to a grape vine, it's going to produce grapes. Jesus is telling us that if we are like a branch and we're attached to him and he's kind of like the vine, then he's going to produce this spiritual fruit through us, right? He's going to produce some things like self-control and some joy and some peace. But you ever ask yourself, what is the most important spiritual fruit? What's the best kind of spiritual fruit? Fruit. Well, today I want to tell you what the best spiritual fruit is, and I'm going to tell you up front because it's something that we all really struggle with. See, Jesus helps us understand, and, and we've talked about this before. It's something that we hit several times a year because it's just so important. But the most important fruit, the most important thing that should be coming out of your life and my life as we're close to Jesus is love, right? That's the most important fruit. The most important thing that should be flowing from us is love. Now, not only is it the most important one, it's probably also the most difficult one, right? To love other people well. Isn't that just so incredibly difficult? And it's because we have people in our lives who are broken. We have people in our lives who are sinful. We have people in our lives who are angry and vengeful and lustful and hateful. And sometimes we run from those people and then we have to remember something, right? We are those people, aren't we? That we have some lust, some anger, some, some pride, some gossip in us too, don't we? And others need to love us well. 
And so we're going to talk about this idea of love today. And we're going to talk about how important it is. And we're going to talk about how Jesus so badly wants to produce it in us. And how really the love that God wants to produce in us is only available when we're connected close to him. But loving people is so difficult because people are so inconsiderate sometimes. All you have to do is go shopping to be reminded how inconsiderate some people are, right? Up, up here in the north, man, you go to, this, go to a store. You go to a store in the south, everybody's so kind and so nice. It takes you an hour longer, but everybody is so kind and so nice there. You, you kind of want to hang out in the store. You don't care if it takes that long because everybody's just kind. Up here, man, people are just really no respect, no thoughtfulness. Uh, I had a buddy who went into a store. And it was the kind of store where they had different stations where, you know, he needed to go to the electronic station. So he walks to the back of the store and he's, let's say this is the counter, he's at the counter. On the other side of the counter, there's three workers just ignoring him, standing there, talking, talking, talking. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. Finally, he looks down, he sees there's a stack of business cards for the store. He picks one up, he calls the number on the business card. He gets routed to the electronics desk and the phone right here on the other side of the desk rings. And the nice worker picks up the phone. Hello, my name is Stephen. How may I help you today? And my friend right here says, Hi, I'm the guy on the phone standing right in front of you. I'd really love if you would help me now. And the guy said, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. How can I help you? (laughs) So we, we live in a world where there are people with no respect, right? People who just are so thoughtless. And yet we're called to love. And I think as we think about the people in our lives that are, are difficult to love, probably a lot of us begin to think, like, God, I can't, though. I can't. I have tried so hard. I've gone to counseling. I've, I've told myself I'm going to try harder. I've tried to keep my patience. And I've tried to forgive. Some of us are walking around with some anger and unforgiveness in our hearts toward people we should be loving toward. And we just don't know how to produce this. And, and I understand that, and I get it. And I would say, yeah, we can't love. That's why we need to be connected to the vine. That's why we need to be connected to Jesus and so close to him that he is creating and producing this supernatural love in our hearts for the people that are so difficult sometimes to love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would guess you've struggled with this too. I would guess you would say, yeah, man, there's people in my life, they just drive me crazy. I have such a difficult time trying to be loving toward them. And so we're glad you're here today because you're going to hear today how we are aiming at loving people. And maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, another thing you would say is, I also don't know quite how to respond to this love of God. Like, okay, maybe loving other people is one struggle, but I don't know how to either accept or even understand or fathom why God would love me or want anything to do with me. And so we're going to look at both of those things today. Uh, As we've been looking at this series, we've been continuing to just dive into this imagery, these beautiful word pictures, these, these detailed figurative language that we find in Scripture. And as I already said, the one we've been looking at the last three weeks is this idea of the vine and the branches. Jesus the vine, us being like the branch, connected to him, close to him. And in week one, we saw that remaining in Jesus is about staying connected to him, right? Last week, we saw remaining in Jesus is about obeying him, right? Not a very popular topic, but we saw last week that the obedience God calls us to is different than the normal, crusty, dry obedience that all of us hate. It's an obedience that's love-fueled, and it's an obedience that produces joy in our lives. And so today, we kind of are going to continue to look at this imagery. And coming off last week, we were talking about how remaining in Jesus means obeying Jesus. And maybe you left going, well, okay, what's Jesus looking for in my life? How does he want me to obey him? And I'm so glad you asked that question because Jesus tells us the answer Right away in John 15, 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So in other words, if you're trying to figure out 
how to stay close to Jesus by remaining in him, by obeying him, the first thing he calls us to do, the most important thing he calls us to do, is to love others as he has loved us. And so we're going to really dive into what this looks like here today. And so we have to think about what this verse says. It says, love each other as I've loved you. Well, who's the each other in this verse? First and foremost, the people God calls us to love are other followers of Jesus, right? Because Jesus is talking to his followers right here. He's saying, hey, love each other as I have loved you. So my first question for you today, are there any Christians that you're having a really hard time loving? And now Christians can be dumb sometimes. We can be really stupid sometimes. We can look nothing like Christians sometimes. And because of that, we make it really difficult to love each other sometimes, right? And yet, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. And so are there any Christians in your life that you're struggling to love right now? My guess would be, yeah, probably all of us have Christians in our lives, maybe even people in the room here today that you're really struggling to love. And yet Jesus calls us to this love. And we go, but I can't, but I can't, but I can't. And Jesus says, stay connected, remain, keep the conversation open with me, look in my word. I'm going to fuel this love. I'm going to produce this love in you if you'll stay close to me. But it's difficult, right? John, who wrote John 15, also wrote three other books, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He's very original with the names. And uh, in 1 John chapter 4, John says something so intense. Listen to what he says, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Ouch, right? You're not going to sew that one and put it on a pillow on your couch, right? It's like, oh, what pills do you have on your couch? Oh, John 3.16. I got that one about like the plans he has for you. And oh yeah, I got this one too. You you claim to love God, you hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. Now parents, I think we actually should do this because then when the kids start fighting, you just go, yo, shut up or I'm going to throw the liar pillow at you, right? Don't tell me you love God you're screaming at your sister right now, all right? But that's an intense verse, but it's a true verse, right? God is saying, hey, if if you claim to love me, you cannot keep on hating or holding offense against or holding unforgiveness against someone who also claims to be a follower of Jesus. And I, and I think what God says to us in these moments is, be the real thing. Be the real thing. If you're going to claim to love me, be the real thing. The world is watching. Be the real thing. I was in a, in a service, not in this service, but I was in a service uh, about a month or two ago, and I was in the back of the church, and um, I saw this one girl during the worship, and she was like just going for it. I mean, she's got like both hands up in the air. Like if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're newer to church, just so you know what that means is like I always say it like this. Like I loved it when my kids were real little. It's kind of changing because they're all getting bigger. They could start picking me up. But, but when my kids were real little, they'd run up to me, hands up to me. I want to be close to you, Dad, or, you know, I'm hurt, Dad. Or, and that's just us toward God, okay? Like, hands up. God, I want to be close to you, or I need you, or I'm surrendered to you, whatever that might be. But this girl's just going for it, and I'm thinking, man, she really must love Jesus a lot. And then the message started, and she's on her phone. She's playing games. She's texting. She's, like, showing her friends. She's laughing. And then the message is over. As soon as the worship started again, she's got her hands up in the air like she just don't care. She's going for it again. And I'm thinking to myself, Man, just be the real thing, right? Like, you can't be passionately in love with Jesus during the worship and then care less about his word, right? It's impossible. It's a dichotomy. And then the thought hit me. That's like us sometimes as Christians. It's like we come into church and we're all passionate about Jesus, but we care less about our brother or sister as they're walking out the door. You know, we're all excited about Jesus. or We love the word. I'm in the word. Great. 
Because the word tells us to love like Jesus loved us. And so we can't be all about Jesus right now. And as soon as I close in prayer, we walk out and we start ignoring people because we don't like them. And so Jesus says, love each other. Well, who are the each others? The each other are you and I, are the people here in the room that claim to love Jesus. And I'll tell you, this is a struggle. I get it. God's been putting me into some environments lately where I'm in the room with some people that I'm kind of jealous of, some people that I don't get along with very, very well naturally. And I just feel like God's been putting that on my heart. Just be the real thing. Be the real thing. It's none of you, by the way. A guy after the first service was like, are you talking about me from the stage today? No, okay? But God has put me in some of those environments, and it's just a challenge. And so I get it. I understand. But the way we love like we've been loved is to stay connected to Jesus. It's to, it's to keep that conversation open. It's when the love is tested to go to him and say, God, help me. Breathe into my heart this love that I just simply don't have myself. And I love here, it says that we're supposed to, if you go back to, or go ahead to that next part there, Cade, verse, uh, what were we on? John 15, where it it says, love like I've loved you. Um, Yeah, verse 12. I love that he says we're supposed to love as Jesus has loved us, because then we have to ask the question, well, how has Jesus loved us? Well, he loved us selflessly, which means he doesn't always get what he wants. And sometimes we love when we're going to kind of get something out of it. Jesus says, no, love selflessly. And then he says, Another idea is that he, he, he let it cost him not just something, but everything, right? And so Jesus loving you and me meant he lost his life. And so Jesus says, hey, love others like I've loved you. And so let me ask you the question again. What Christians are you struggling to love? What Christians are you struggling to love? Now, we also have to talk about how this means people who aren't Christians too, right? We're supposed to love people who don't know Jesus, and we're really bad at this as Christians, right, sometimes? And I would say, hey, man, our, our church, I think we, we give it our best shot, and I'm thankful for that. But the church at large is not known to be loving toward people who are not also followers of Jesus. And so we have to talk about this because this is so important. Throughout the Bible, we see we're called to love others. I don't have time to tell the whole story here, but the story of the Good Samaritan is a beautiful picture of someone loving somebody that is least like them, right? Loving someone who is least like himself. He cares for somebody that's broken and dying, who technically would have been his enemy in that culture. And so let me ask you a question. Who's least like you? Because they're often the people most difficult to love, right? Who's least like you? Jesus loved us, think about this, before we were ever interested in changing. Think about that. Jesus loved us even before we were interested in changing. You see, I think that sometimes we love people to the degree that we think they'll change and agree with us, right? They'll become like us. And that's not how Jesus loved. Jesus loved people who were nothing like him, which was you and me. Jesus loved people who were not pure and holy and and true and just and honest and fair and right. And he loved even before we ever considered changing. And so, Think about it. Who's not like you? Who's not like you? Who do, who do you not even see a glimmer of hope in changing? God's called you and I to love that person. So here we are, election time, a lot of hot topics, right? So is it a Democrat in your office? Is it a Republican in your office? Is it somebody that's gay? You would say, man, I'm nothing like them. I don't know how to love them. Maybe if I see signs that they change, then I'll start loving them. No, that's not how Jesus loved Right? Jesus loved before we were ever even thinking of changing. Is it an immigrant 
Is it somebody talking about building a wall to keep out immigrants? Who is it? Who's least like you? Who do you disagree with the most? Is it someone who would fight for pro-life? Is it someone who would fight for pro-choice? Who's least like you? Jesus calls us to love. Is it somebody in your office? Is it a person that betrayed you? Is it someone that broke your heart? Who's least like you? Who, who would you say, I just can't get on the same page with that person? Because that's the person that Jesus loved in me and in you, right? And here's where I think we've got to be careful. Two things. First of all, I think our fear is that if we love somebody who's not like us, we validate what, we, what they do. I think that's some of our fear. It's like, I can't love that person because if I love that person and they keep doing that, then I'm guilty by association. And that's never the way Jesus loved. What was the name for Jesus? One of the names. Friend of sinners, right? Friend of sinners. He was the guy at the table with all the people everybody else was afraid to eat with. And he loved so well. He loved. He fronted love. And then he got to truth. I'm not saying we throw out truth. Truth is so important. we got to continue to preach biblical truth. But love comes first. Grace comes first. That's how Jesus dealt with you and with me. He started with love and grace. And then he gets to truth. And he starts to work on our lives and says, hey, let's line up this part of your, your heart, Doug, with my word and what I'm saying because that's so important. And you're, you're headed for a cliff. You're going to fall off that cliff and kill yourself. And I love you enough to, to tell you the truth but I'm going to start with love. I'm going to start with grace. So who's least like you? Who, who, who gets your blood boiling when you start talking politics? Who, who gets your blood boiling when you start talking religion? Who, who gets your blood boiling because of the way that they treat you or someone that you love? Who's least like you? Because that's who Jesus calls us to love. It's funny because I think what we tend to do is we'll often love people and point them to Jesus when maybe their, their story or their position is somewhat relatable. Like if you're at work and someone comes and says, my marriage is falling apart, you know what I would bet many of you would do? You'd say, hey, I'm praying for you and I'm telling you God could, could do amazing things in your marriage and I'd love to invite you to my church. But often when we come into contact with the people who we're least like, we don't start there. We think to ourselves, oh man, I may keep them at arm's length until they kind of get that figured out and then maybe I'll invite them. That's not God's heart. That's not what he did with you and with me. And it's messy and it's uncomfortable and we continue to do things God's way according to his word, but we always front love and we always front grace. And so Jesus loved us before we were ever even thinking about changing. Another thing, Jesus loves us unconditionally. This is huge because most of us love conditionally, right? We love as long as our conditions have been met, right? Um, give me an example. I think one of the best ways that we in suburban America can reach people is by serving our neighbors, our literal neighbors, the people that live around the block. And so I think it's so important that we're out there caring for people, helping people. And, um, you know, it, that's really easy to do when you have Nick and Maria neighbors who are awesome and friendly and look at you and, and wave and invite you over to their house and you're in their pool. They're, that's great. I'll, I'll serve Nick and Maria all day. But the people on my block who are hard to serve are the ones who, when I drive by, they turn their back instead of wave. Or, or the ones who've been a little bit cruel to my kids. The ones who don't let their kids play with my kids because they might get infected with Jansen like cooties or something. I don't even know what the reasoning is. That's hard. That's difficult, right? And, and so when there's three feet of snow, it's fun to help Nick. I mean, he's got a snowblower too. So we just go around. We just snowblow the neighborhood. And it's actually a lot of fun. We have a great time. But it's harder to serve the neighbors who turn their back, right? And so when there's three feet of snow on the ground, they're out there with a shovel, and you have the Craftsman dual-stage snowblower T-1000. 
doesn't even churn the snow out. It, it blows a flame out that melts everything in its path. And they got their shovel, man. You got them right where you want them, you know? You wish you waved now. Should have come to the block party, punk, right? A little difficult. But those are the people that God calls us up. See, I was thinking about this, and maybe those neighbors who turn their back and won't wave, maybe they're just the most broken of our neighbors. And maybe they're the ones that actually need the love of Jesus the most in their lives. And maybe they're the ones that God's going to call us to keep on waving to, keep on inviting, keep on saying hi to, even when they push us away and reject us over and over and over again. You know, I, I think what we have to understand is that Jesus did not start loving us when his conditions were met, and he didn't stop loving us when we broke those conditions, right? Jesus didn't start loving you and I when we finally met his conditions and we got it right, because we never did that. He loved us before, and he never stopped loving us when those conditions were broken, when, when we break those conditions every single day. He says, hey, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. I love you, I'm trying to protect you here, not ruin your fun. But don't do that. And, and every single day, you and I break one of his conditions at least. And yet his love for us doesn't stop. And so he loves us so well unconditionally. So what Christians are you struggling to love? Because we're called to love each other as we've been loved by Jesus. And what unsaved people are you struggling to love? Because we're called to love them and serve them. Whether our conditions have been met or not. Whether we ever see a glimmer of hope in them changing. Verse 13, Jesus goes on. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus is talking about what he was about to do. He's predicting his own death here. Which if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's pretty good. Jesus many times predicted his own death and his resurrection. And so there's power in that. Before it ever even happened, he was, he was saying, this is exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give up my life to die on the cross, raise back from the dead to save broken people who so badly need saving. And so Jesus is saying, hey, here's love. You want to talk love? I'm about to get on the cross and die. And it's funny because Jesus just said, hey, love like I've loved you. And then he shows us how much he loves us. He says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And so we're supposed to follow suit. Verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command. What do you command, Jesus? Well, I command that you love each other as you've been loved. So if you want this close, connected, remaining relationship with Jesus, the first thing on every one of our minds should be, am I loving well? Because that's what God's commanded me to do. Now we have to understand this. If you're not a follower of Jesus especially, because what Jesus is not saying is, Jesus here, he doesn't say that obedient people become saved. He's saying saved people become obedient. Okay? So he's not saying obey, 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 so then God thinks you're worthy of saving. No, he's saying, hey, save people. Saved people are going to become obedient. Yeah, we're still going to stumble. We're still going to mess things up sometimes. But Jesus doesn't say that saved people or obedient people become saved. Rather, he says saved people become obedient. We grow. We begin to see as we're closely connected to him. He's producing these awesome new things in our lives. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. So God calls you friend. God calls his followers here friends. It's a love that we don't deserve. It's a love that shouldn't be given to us. But, but that's the love of Jesus for you and me. And again, this has to, this has to carry over into how we interact with people who, who are least like us. 
Because remember, Jesus wasn't afraid to associate as your friend and my friend, even though we were incredibly sinful and still are. And so we got to get that whole validating, guilty by association thing out of our minds because Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus said, yeah, I'm your friend and you're my friend. And the, the disciples were all yet to abandon him. Peter was yet to deny him. Peter, Peter was yet to call down curses on himself and distance himself from his Savior. Judas was yet to betray him. All the followers were yet to run. And Jesus says, hey, I'm calling you friends. Before you do all that, I'm calling you friends. Then he says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. See, that's so important because I think some of us are here today saying, man, I, I'm hearing you, Doug. I'm hearing that I need to be loving and that the way I get to be loving is by staying close to the vine, Jesus, and then he'll produce this fruit in me. But, but is that going to work? And here's Jesus' heart for us. Yes, I want you to produce fruit, love, and love that will last, love that will endure, love that will continue. And so that's the heart of God for you and for me. And I love that Jesus says here, hey, he's talking to his followers. Remember, he's talking to like guys like Matthew and Peter and these different guys and, and James and John. And he's, he's saying, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And just think about that. This is Jesus looking at Peter and these different guys who are fishermen messing around with their nets. I mean, just imagine that. Like Jesus is on the, on the beach and he's looking at these, these knuckleheads who can't even catch a fish. He's like, yeah, those are my guys right there. I'm going I'm to change the world with them. And that's what he did for you and for me, right? I mean, he called Matthew, who was a, a tax collector, who was like known as the sinner of all sinners because tax collectors ripped everybody off back in the day. And Jesus walks up to Matthew, hey, come on, follow me. I mean, just imagine. And that's what Jesus has done for you. You want to talk about uh, guilty by association. This is how Jesus lived. And he wasn't validating what Matthew was doing by ripping people off. He was about to change Matthew, right? And it was about being close and connected to Jesus. And then Jesus reminds us again what his command is as we connect. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. And so what I hope you're seeing today and what I want you to take away is this thought. The number one byproduct of remaining in Jesus is love. The number one thing that's going to be coming out of your life and my life as we stay close to Jesus the vine is going to be this love that we simply cannot produce our It should be the number one thing we're thinking about, the number one way to obey, the number one thing that should be flowing out of our lives as we're close to our Savior, the source. And this makes total sense, doesn't it? Because Scripture tells us something about God. You know what it tells us? That God is love. He is love. And so how are you going to be by love personified and not become loving? God is love. Uh, It doesn't say God is love peace. He says he is our peace or gives us peace. doesn't say that he is self-control, although he gives us self-control, but it literally says God is love. And the beautiful thing about this is that love is the fruit that comes out of our life that really, truly helps produce all the other fruits, isn't it? Like if I'm loving, that means I'm going to have patience with my family. If I'm loving, I'm going to be at peace. If I'm loving, there's going to be a joy in my life. If I'm loving, there's going to be a self-control about me where I'm not going to want to hurt the people that I love. So, so love is this beautiful number one byproduct of remaining in Jesus. So I hope you're seeing here that remaining in him is about connecting to him. Remaining in him is about obeying him. 
And when we are connected and obeying, what's going to come out of our life is a supernatural love that we just cannot produce ourselves. Last week, we saw the fruit was joy that came out of our lives, right, as we talked about this. And I want to say something similar to what I said last week. It's this statement. The more connected we are, the more obedient we are, the more loving we are. The more connected we are to God, the vine, the source, the more obedient we are, the more loving we are. And so connect. Stay connected to him. Talk to Jesus this week. Bring him the struggles. Bring him the people that give you a hard time when it comes to loving well. Some of you guys... Some of you teenagers, right? You're on summer break, and like all you could wait for was summer break, and now it's like, when does school start again? I'm bored. What do I do? Which means you're probably getting at it with your siblings and maybe your parents. And all right, so this week, when you're tempted to go there, Jesus, help me. I'm really tempted to lash out at my parents right now. God, help me to love well. Some of us will go to our office tomorrow. And we will work with a person, a boss, an employee, a coworker that drives us insane. And it's time to keep that conversation open all week long. God, help me to love, be in his word, be reading about the love of Jesus. Let his love fill your heart. Some of you guys are older. Some of your grandparents, it's summertime, which means like families are invading your home. Uh, there's uh, reunions coming. You're going to have like 72 people at your house. You're going to have kids running around, traipsing stuff through the house. Remain in Jesus. God, give me love. Give me patience for these little guys. God, fill my heart. Whatever it is, the person that has broken you so badly, the person that has stomped on your heart over and over again, man, we've got to be clinging to Jesus so that he can be producing this love in our hearts. I'm telling you, if you are in prayer and if you are in his word, love is going to flow out of you. It's just that simple because he is love. It's impossible to be close to love personified and not become more loving. And if we do, we're going to make a difference in this world. Bottom line, we're going to make a difference in this world. And the the world around us so badly needs to see loving Christians. So badly needs to see the real deal. The people who will sacrificially love and sacrificially give. There's a guy named John Marks, and he's the producer of that show 60 Minutes on TV. And he was a follower of Jesus for much of his life, and then actually ended up walking away from his faith. And after he walked away from his faith, he wrote a book called A Reason to Believe, and basically he was searching, and he was kind of doing this investigative report on Christians and Christianity, and, and he kind of reports on some of the highs of Christianity and some of the lows, some of the things he's seen, both good and bad. But one of the things that he saw that had such power was the love that Christians showed after Hurricane Katrina. After the government did all that they did and kind of backed out of there, churches kept showing up for years Hundreds of thousands of volunteers showed up after Katrina for years. And listen to what John Mark says about this. I would agree that this was a watershed moment in the history of American Christianity. Nothing spoke more eloquently to believers and to non-believers who were paying attention than the success of a population of believing volunteers measured against the massive and near-total collapse of secular government efforts. The storm laid bare an unmistakable truth. More and more Christians have decided that the only way to reconquer America is through service. The faith no longer travels by the word. It moves by the deed. What's he saying here? He's saying love works. Love catches people's attention. Love 
matters. And as you and I are connected with Jesus, that's the love that'll flow out of us. You know what's so cool is that our church was a part of the hundreds of thousands of Christians that went down after Hurricane Katrina. And it was really hot. Really, really hot. We were there in like July. I planned that trip. Good job, Doug. Couldn't have gone in February. But we were there in July working. We're digging trenches so they can lay new electrical lines. We're ripping sheetrock off walls and houses that are gutted, have no electricity and no air conditioning. We're hanging out with kids. We're giving out food, doing barbecues for the community. And it was like a lot of work and it was crazy. And, and we stayed in this church and they built us bunk beds out of PVC piping and then like a vinyl sheet across. There was no mattress. So you're like, like hanging in this like suspended bunk bed and and this one poor guy his bunk bed kept collapsing in the middle of the night like four in the morning you just hear bing and all of a sudden you know everything would calm down and he was like the biggest guy on the trip it was like nobody go underneath dave if he falls on that top bunk you're dead right and so that i mean we had showers they they they, they basically took like um a tarp and hung it off the side of a building these these showers for these guys and then they divided them with like pond lining and then you got a hose i don't know if you were dirtier coming out or going in but it was so nasty and yet it was so great because there we were to love people who think about this we had no idea if they were ever planning on changing no idea were these people going to respond to the love of jesus because of this don't know don't know if they ever did and our conditions hadn't been met People hadn't done anything for us. And yet hundreds of thousands of Christians kept going, kept going to share the love of Jesus, to be the hands and feet in Jesus in the middle of that crisis. And, and the world needs to see more of that on a global, big deal, catastrophe level. But the world needs to see that in the way you and I treat our spouses and in the way that we treat our kids and the way we, we, we work in the office and the way we are students at school and the, and the kind of grandparents that we are and, the neighbors we are, because that is the answer that God has left us with. Love, love each other, love the world. And in that, we're going to impact people. In that, more and more people are going to find that Jesus can be trusted. So many of the people that ran away from their faith, like John Marks, are going to come running back as we serve well and we love well. But the only way that's ever going to happen is if we're connected to Jesus. If we're in the Word. We're opening up scripture and we're seeing the love of God personified in those pages. And we're close to our Savior, keeping the conversation alive, talking with him, letting him fuel our love on a daily basis. So if you're a follower of Jesus, in just a minute, I want to ask you to pray about those people in your life that you struggle to love, the Christians and the non-Christians. And ask Jesus, the vine, to fuel your life with love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope today you've seen that you are loved and that Jesus loves you enough to give his life and he loves the today version of you. He loves you before you even think about changing or giving him access to your life or saying, God, begin to work in me or any of that. You're loved right where you are here today. God fronts love. He fronts grace. And so I hope today you might think about putting your trust in Jesus, have your your life begin to, to change and, and maybe just maybe see that God wants to produce this supernatural love in you as you grow more in your relationship with him. But the number one byproduct of remaining in Jesus is love. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful to you that you have given us this answer. And you haven't just told us to do this, but you've modeled this. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us what love is as you laid down your life for your friends. We're just so grateful to you for that. And now we just pray that as we learn more and more, God, to stay connected, 
to stay close to you, keep the conversation open throughout our day, to be in your word throughout our day, that God, love personified will wear off on us. Love personified will produce that fruit of love in our lives. So Christians, would you pray about those people in your life that you find difficult to love? And it may be a person with a name. It may be a a category. Like I said earlier, is it a Democrat? Is it a Republican? Is it a an immigrant? Is it someone who wants to keep immigrants out? Is it, who is it? Who is, who is least like you? That you need to pray and say, God, you're, you're calling me to love this person. We're on opposite ends of this issue and that issue, but God, what are you saying? How would you lead me to love and serve this person? Maybe it's someone that hurt you really badly and you need to forgive someone. If you're not a father of Jesus, I would encourage you to put your trust in him today. I would encourage you to, to respond to him by by maybe having a conversation with him. Something like this. Maybe you could just say something like this quietly to God. Jesus, thank you for dying for me in my place. Thank you for removing my sin. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for fronting love and fronting grace. I thank you, God, that you want to produce things in my life I could never produce myself. So I'm asking you today, God, to let me begin this relationship with you, to be close to you, I ask you to begin to change my life and do what you know to do in me. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In your name I pray.